Hello. I'm Rocco. I'm Gavin. This is Leslie. And this is episode one of Climate Talks. In this episode, we will be discussing radiative climate forcings and feedbacks, giving further insight on the specific mechanisms of these atmospheric issues, their implications, and potential solutions. Throughout this podcast, we will use analogies to make involved climate topics more simple and approachable. Quote, on our current trajectory, there could be two feet of sea level rise by 2040, three feet by 2050, and much more to come, end quote, according to Harold Wanless from The Guardian. Sea level rise and the global warming that causes it impact countless ecosystems. Much of the atmospheric warming that has caused this is our fault, since humans tamper with the Earth's solar energy balance by releasing different greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. To describe this phenomenon, we have devised what we call our imperative ABT narrative. Our planet tries to maintain an energy balance, and its own energy, in the form of radiation, is let out of our atmosphere. But this state of balance can be disrupted by human-imposed changes to our atmosphere. Therefore, the Earth's radiation cannot escape as easily. Now on to atmospheric energy balance. The atmospheric energy balance of our planet relies on radiation. The sun serves as one source of radiation, and its radiation takes about 8 minutes to travel to the Earth. We can refer to this radiation from the sun as blackbody radiation, which is basically radiation given off by an object with constant temperature. On Earth, we see the effects of this radiation in the form of heat and visible light. While 70% of this solar radiation is absorbed, 30% is reflected, whether by the atmosphere or light surfaces on Earth, such as glaciers, ice caps, and desert sands. What makes these surfaces great for reflection is their albedo, which is a measure of a surface's ability to reflect energy from the sun, and Leslie's going to get into that later. But now, let's talk about the 70% of radiation that's absorbed. What exactly happens to it? Well, it is eventually re-emitted, but as radiation with a longer wavelength. We can therefore refer to it as long-wave radiation. It's much harder for this long-wave radiation to leave the Earth, because the longer the wavelength of any radiation, the less energy it packs. With less energy, it may not be able to meet the threshold required to escape our atmosphere. The low energy ultimately makes it easier for greenhouse gases to absorb long-wave radiation and keep it in the Earth's atmosphere, therefore heating the Earth. Now, knowledge of long-wave radiation becomes important to discussing the atmospheric energy of the Earth, which is the total amount of shortwave and long-wave radiation present in the Earth, and essentially dictates the Earth's average temperature. To picture this relationship, we can imagine two children on a seesaw, one representing radiation coming into Earth, and one representing radiation leaving the Earth. And when there is a reasonable amount of radiation in the atmosphere, or in Earth, the temperature remains stable, and the kids remain balanced. However, when there is too much radiation in the atmosphere, and trapped within Earth, the temperature is going to rise, just as the child on the seesaw would in response to an increase in weight on the opposing side. And this model demonstrates that atmospheric energy balance can be tampered with by external forces impacting the amount of radiation trapped on Earth. These factors will be discussed later in the podcast and include both greenhouse gases and the albedo effect. Overall, atmospheric energy and therefore global temperatures decrease with albedo and increase with greenhouse gases. Additionally, to have atmospheric energy balance, it is essential for there to be equilibrium between total incoming and outgoing radiation on Earth. If more energy leaves the Earth than is trapped in the atmosphere, the temperature decreases. On the other hand, if more energy is trapped in than leaves the Earth, the temperature increases. The second scenario is what we are currently facing, indicating an imbalance in our planet's atmospheric energy. But why are we facing this issue? Well, to further explain this predicament, we will discuss radiative forcings and feedback loops in a context of greenhouse gases and the albedo effect, respectively.
Now on to radiative forcings and greenhouse gases. One aspect of climate that plays into atmospheric energy balance is radiative forcing. Radiative forcing is defined as an external energy change in the planet's energy balance. It may be helpful here to imagine a planet as a slice of cake. Each layer is distinct and contains all sorts of different compounds. In the same way, the layers of the Earth, particularly the atmosphere, are filled with different chemical concentrations that can impact our planet as a whole. These concentrations specifically affect the temperature of our planet. Therefore, they have a considerable impact on the Earth's energy balance. The gases that we are interested in discussing have a high capacity to absorb and re-emit long-wave radiation. So, when present in the atmosphere, they allow more radiation to be absorbed and prevent radiation from escaping into space, retaining more energy and increasing the global mean surface temperature as a result. This phenomenon is referred to as the greenhouse effect. As a result, these chemical concentrations are called greenhouse gases. But what makes greenhouse gases able to trap the radiation? Greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide and methane absorb light, causing the bonds between atoms to vibrate, according to Jesse Kral, professor of civil and environmental engineering at MIT. This vibration is what traps the energy that tries to escape Earth. To visualize this phenomenon, imagine trying to walk through water as opposed to quicksand. When trying to walk through water, you're able to move freely and get to where you want to go. But in quicksand, you're sluggish when moving and may find it very difficult to get where you need to be. Solar radiation, like you immersed in water, is able to escape to space. But black body radiation, like you in the hypothetical pit of quicksand, is trapped by the greenhouse gases in the Earth's atmosphere. Along their capacity to absorb and re-emit long-wave radiation, some greenhouse gases, like carbon dioxide, have an atmospheric lifetime that lasts over a century. Let me explain. The atmosphere filled with oxygen and ultraviolet radiation can allow for oxidation to occur. Oxidation is where oxygen atoms react with chemicals in the atmosphere, mostly in the troposphere and in the stratosphere to some extent, and change their structure, which changes their function. Through oxidation, many atmospheric chemicals are able to be broken down and may no longer impact radiative absorption. Carbon dioxide, on the other hand, does not react to oxygen in this environment, which allows it to exist for a long time in the atmosphere. With increasing carbon dioxide present in the atmosphere for a longer period of time, more heat is trapped. Overall, this increases global temperatures and is the reason why carbon dioxide is recognized as a key contributor to global warming. Moving on to feedback loops. A radiative feedback is a change in a radiatively active climate that either damps or amplifies the temperature change from the initial temperature change. Any feedback that is amplifying or perpetuating the surface temperature change is referred to as a positive feedback. Don't let the term positive fool you though, we do not like positive feedback loops. They essentially enhance the first effect of global warming. On the other hand, if the response of climate constituents, such as sea ice, oceans, atmosphere, if their response to the surface temperature change reduces the temp change in temperature, then it is considered a negative feedback. We like these. They counteract the first effect of surface warming. Albedo is a term used to describe the amount of reflection of solar radiation from a certain object. So imagine you're sitting in a car on a hot summer day. If the car you're sitting in is dark colored, it is most likely extremely hot and you feel the need to blast the AC. This is because darker objects, the dark colored car in this case, have a lower albedo than lighter objects, such as a white colored car. The white car's bright reflective surface means a cooler temperature than the other car that doesn't reflect as much solar energy. Now, going back to climate science. Fresh snow reflects about 90% of the sun's energy, which cools a planet similar to the white car. When snow melts, as Earth's temperature rises, less radiation from the sun is reflected from the snow. Temperature continues to increase since there is less snow to cool the planet, which causes even more snow to melt, and the cycle continues. This is a clear example of positive feedback, which remember, isn't so positive. Let's talk specifically about the ice albedo feedback loop. We know that radiative forcings cause a rise in temperature. 
since temperature and sea ice have an inverse relationship an increase in temperature causes a decrease in sea ice which has a high albedo similar to the snow and the white car we just talked about but on a more global scale the decrease of sea ice therefore decreases the planet's overall albedo which means the surface absorbs more solar radiation as a result, the temperature continues to rise and the cycle continues. This feedback loop is also a positive one, which amplifies the surface temperature change and contributes greatly to global warming. Now, why is all of this important? Number one, a large proportion of the world's population lives near coast. As a result, the homes and towns of many would be threatened by rising sea levels, an effect of climate forcing, such as human-induced increase in greenhouse gases. Number two, Greenhouse gas emissions threaten all living things. Some are blatantly harmful to living things, like carbon in the ocean for marine life. This could affect not only biodiversity, but food sources as well. The benefit of having people understand this topic is to be more aware of their own personal contributions to climate forcings. Arguably, more importantly, it would also allow the public to look towards leaders that promote and advocate for sustainable environment practices. Now, onto the solutions. One solution that's shown a lot of promise is a carbon tax and accompanying tax shift. And in order to figure out how that would work, we can look no further than British Columbia, a province in Canada, where the policy was implemented in 2008. So basically right now, they have a tax of $40 per ton of carbon emitted by businesses. And that increases with inflation. Eventually it's going to top out at $50 per ton. But it's not just a tax increase, it's actually a tax shift. And what that means is, the government actually decreases taxes in other areas, such as income and corporate taxes, because they're being made up for in carbon taxes. You know, for example, businesses like it because they pay less in corporate taxes and all they have to do is emit less carbon. With our final ABT narrative, we leave you with this. Earth goes through periods of cycles due to fluctuations in solar absorption and atmospheric concentrations, and Earth likes to be in radiative equilibrium. But Earth risks not being in equilibrium due to climate forcing from increasing greenhouse gas emissions and the resulting feedbacks. Therefore, we need to encourage our communities to support policies that serve to decrease these climate forcings that we're responsible for. Thank you.